This is the Die Hards. Sale winds. He fires. Twenty and a miss. Right play. It's over. The Red Sox have won the World Championship. Tom Brady takes the snap, drops to the knee, and the Patriots have won their sixth Super Bowl title. The Die Hards start now on the Sports Map Radio Network. Here's Anthony Pepe and basketball insiders Bobby Kravitzky. Hour number two of the Diehards officially underway. Bobby Gravitsky, John Lyons here on the Sports Map Radio Network. We've got Austin Rodriguez producing. We've covered the MLB. We've covered the World Baseball Classic. We went in depth on every angle of March Madness, including professional sports handicapper John Ryan telling you how to profit off the tournament. It's time to get into matters on the gridiron, John. We start. Because there's so many big names still out there that every fan base is closely monitoring. One of those individuals is DeAndre Hopkins. In your estimation, what is the best landing spot for him? So I think there's a couple. I think one is the New England Patriots because they have that need there. We've talked about it. And I think the cost has been coming down. There's been reports he's willing to restructure his contract. It could be a third-round pick. Who knows? Maybe as time goes by, it ends up being a fourth-round pick. So I like that. The other team's the New York Giants. They just invested a lot of money in Daniel Jones. They franchise tag Saquon Barkley. But I think you and I can agree on nobody on that offense outside of Barkley scares you. I think they need a real deal weapon on the outside. And the system for Brian Dable, not that different than the system he'd have in New England, which I think he'd be a fit there. I think he'd be a fit in the Giants system. So those are the two teams I look at above all others that he'd be a great fit. I love that. I'm looking AFC at two names. One is in the same division as the Patriots, but it's not New England. It's the Buffalo Bills. I mean, Diggs yeah. and Hopkins with Josh Allen. And Gabe they signed Davis. Damian Harris, Gabe Davis. That defense, even without Tremaine Edmonds, they kept Jordan Poyer. That's a Super Bowl contender that loads up right there. They can take a big swing on DeAndre Hopkins. He posted, I don't know if you saw this on Instagram the other night or what it means, but he posted the lines to Bob Marley, Buffalo Soldier. And so is he toying with people? Does he know something we don't yet? Who knows? Bills are my top landing spot for him. Another one, if the Baltimore Ravens keep Lamar Jackson. I like that one. He, need, he needs a legitimate weapon in the passing game. Go get D-Hop. Yeah, and I think the, the Lamar Jackson thing is really interesting because if he goes somewhere else, then I would still even say whatever team he goes to would be a good landing spot. But Baltimore, they've had great play at tight end from Mark Andrews. They've had great running backs. They have not found a great, consistent wide receiver connection. They tried it with Hollywood Brown. They've tried it with others. They have not found a guy to be a real connection with him at receiver. I think Hopkins would be. Yeah, it's, it's the biggest missing piece to that puzzle. They invested in Roquan Smith at the trade yep. deadline. So if they keep Lamar, and they should, I don't know if they will, but if they do, go get DeAndre Hopkins. It's going to be really interesting to see where he ends up and how he changes things in whatever conference he ends up in. And then another big-name receiver who could be on the move, Jerry Judy. Yep. How do you think this gets resolved? So I think the asking price is still really high right now. He, I, see, I think Hopkins is definitely As in a first-round pick? Yeah, I think Hopkins is definitely going somewhere. Judy, I think, is a little bit more likely to stay in Denver, almost like they're seeing what the market is. Someone blows him away. However, there are more teams, I think, that would be a fit for him because he's younger and even though the price is higher, because he's younger, you can extend him. You can have him more years. So I'd still put the Patriots in there. I'd still put the Giants in there. But I think another team like Detroit, who has 
two firsts. And I think Detroit should get Lamar Jackson, by the way. But a team that has multiple firsts, multiple seconds, a first next year, a second next year, have the capital to trade for him and still have high picks, that would be a great landing spot. Cleveland as well. I, th- those, t- But really, just about anybody. Yeah. So my first question to you on Judy as a follow-up, do you believe that he's a number one or that he will grow into that? I think he can. Is he it now? I do think there's a difference between a number one and an elite number one. Like, is he an elite number one like A.J. Brown is in Philly? No. Is he a number one like Cooper Cup is in, in L.A.? No. But is he, you know, one of the top 25 receivers in the NFL, a number one guy? I think he is. I, or I think he would be in a situation. Like, if he goes to Cleveland with Deshaun Watson and Amari Cooper, I think he's a one and he's a great player there. So I think he will be. And because of that, the asking price is, is probably worth it, but if you can get them down to maybe like a second and a third, that would be a little bit better for me. And the Browns just got from the Jets Elijah Moore for the, I believe, right. the 42nd, maybe it was the 43rd. And I think Judy's a lot better than Elijah Moore. Exactly. Yeah. So it tells you that, one, Cleveland tried to get Judy for that price and couldn't. So I think the Broncos are holding firm. Like you said, if it's a first-round pick, we'll do it. But we've got a young talent who's still yeah. on his rookie deal. So as much as we need to recoup draft capital, they don't pick until, I think, the fourth round yeah. at the moment. So I still think they're willing to hold on to Jerry Judy if it's not for a first. But we'll see. Yeah, Seattle's another team because they have D.K. Metcalf. They just invested in Geno Smith, and they have all these picks. A lot of them from Denver in that trade. So I think that's another team that if you add Judy to that, I still don't think they're better than San Francisco. But maybe seeding-wise, they don't have to play San Francisco in the wild card round, and it works out that they can get deeper in the playoffs. Yeah, and for anyone concerned that Geno Smith is going to have a regression year, you add Jerry Judy to Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf, you're in pretty good shape in terms of avoiding that. And then another big-name receiver who no one has to trade for. Just cut the check and he's there. One team tried to lowball him. We don't know who it was, but $4 million ain't enough Odell Beckham. My question is not where does he sign, but if you want to play Nostradamus, go right ahead. My question to you, how much at this stage, coming off a major injury, does Odell Beckham move the needle? It's crazy because before that injury in the Super Bowl, you could have made the argument he had an MVP case of that Super Bowl. And he has the injuries out of football all of last year. I don't think it moves the needle a ton. Because if we had seen him come back and show some flashes last year of good play, but it's really difficult to spend a whole year out of football. We even saw recently with Rob Gronkowski. He spent a whole year out of football, came back, and he was good, but he wasn't the dominant Gronk force of his New England years. He was good. So I think Odell Beckham can be good. Is he going to be the guy that was on track to be the Super Bowl MVP or a dominant force in New York? I don't think so. Yeah, I'm with you there. So that's why I think that he's probably going to end up signing for something reasonable that has incentives in case he is Odell Beckham from the past. But we shall see because I'm skeptical he gets there and certainly not on a consistent basis, which is part of what makes a star. You brought up Lamar Jackson. You might want to stick with the destination you tossed out there because I was all in on that. Where do you think he's playing next season? Detroit. You have Lamar Jackson. All right. Should be a Detroit Lion next year, and I'll tell you why. A few reasons. One, Detroit, as I mentioned, they have two first-round picks this year. They have two seconds this year. They have a first next year and a second next year. So if they sign them and they have to give up two firsts, well, you know what? They still have a first this year. They'd still have two seconds, and they'd still have a second next year. Let's not forget elite offense. And you never think of elite when you think of the Detroit Lions. Their offense was elite last year with Jared Goff. I mean, Ben Johnson staying as their OC was one of the biggest moves of the offseason any team made. Jamison Williams, 
looked like a legit pro later last year when he came back from his injury. Amon Ross St. Brown, great receiver. That's a defense that got a lot better as the year went on. Remember how bad they were earlier? Yeah, they, were they got a lot better as the year went on. And you're looking at a team with Lamar Jackson. Not only do they win the NFC North, they're a top three team in the NFC. It's them, Philly, San Francisco, top three teams in the NFC if Detroit has Lamar Jackson. And, by the way, they have a ton of cap space. They can do it. I have nothing to add to that. It was perfect. It covered every angle. Detroit, if Baltimore is foolish enough to let Lamar Jackson go, be the team that acquires him. Ultimately, I still think the Ravens have to look at this and have that fear of the unknown. And I think that there's some kind of a common ground resolution that they can make happen there. So I think that he ultimately stays in Baltimore, and he means so much to that city. But it is, you know, the relationship is not in a good place right now. Yeah. So how much does money heal it, even if they ultimately do come correct? Depends how much of it is guaranteed, I guess, you know, how much <laughs> heals it. And, look, I, I agree with you in that I, I, I would love Detroit to get him. I still think right now the most or the highest odds is he goes back to Baltimore, just because a lot of times in these situations with transition tag guys, restricted free agents, they end up back on their team. It's just what usually happens in the NFL, and I still think if they give him enough money, he'll go back. But still – like, I want Detroit to get him, but we could sit here and name 20 teams that would be way better off if they had Lamar Jackson. Imagine if Atlanta had Lamar Jackson, Carolina, they'd win that division. Or if Tampa's replacement for Tom Brady was Lamar Jackson, like, they'd win that division. I think division. he makes a lot of teams a Super Bowl contender. I agree, right? I, I think I, he makes a lot of teams. If Green Bay trades Aaron Rodgers and then gets Lamar Jackson, I mean, no offense to Jordan Love, but just the point is all these teams would be better off if – I mentioned Minnesota earlier. I know they have Kirk Cousins. Lamar Jackson is a hell of a lot better than him. Like we all what happened teams, in the playoffs to Kirk. Right. So all these teams, like Tennessee had Lamar Jackson instead of Ryan Tannehill. Like Oof. all these teams would be so much better off if they had Lamar. I mean, the, how long have the Colts been looking for an answer at QB? Since Andrew Luck retired, you have Lamar Jackson on that team, you probably win the AFC. In a so. dome? Yeah, you probably Oof. win the AFC. And your road games are in Houston, in Tennessee, in Jacksonville. You're like, you're probably winning the AFC South. So, to me, there's 15 teams or 20 teams that will be a lot better, not just better, a lot better with Lamar Jackson. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And then you touched on Green Bay and what's going on there. The big talking point after Aaron Rodgers went on the Pat McAfee show and said that he intends to play for the Jets, which I fully expect to happen. But the question was, who has more leverage, the Packers or New York? To me, if I'm Green Bay, right after that interview, I'm calling the Jets. I'm saying the price just went up, and I'm hanging up the phone. Yeah, look, I, but I do think it's a double-edged sword because I think if, with him saying, I want to play for the Jets, that's also him saying, I don't want to play in Green Bay. True. And the Jets know that. Oh, well, well, he was already out in Green Bay. Right. But now there's no bidding war because what's going to happen if the Panthers say, oh, we'll give you three first-round picks, and Roger says, yeah, well, I'm just not going to play there. Right. So I think that does hurt – the Packers leverage and that he said, I want to go to this team. Not that even that I want out of Green Bay. I want to go to this. We saw it in the NBA with Kevin Durant. I want out of Brooklyn, but he didn't say I have to go to Phoenix, so they got a huge haul. Yeah, we we shall see what happens. I think Green Bay has more leverage. It's an excellent point, though. Ultimately, is going to end up there, but the Packers can take the patient approach. They don't need to get this deal done right now. He's not holding anything up. Jets, you want him in the building as soon as possible, so we'll see what he goes for and when it happens. We've got more NFL matters to cover up next on the Die Hards.
We've got your tournament coverage right here on the Sports Map Radio Network. Presented by HelloFresh. This spring, HelloFresh is delivering great tasting recipes that help you stick to your food goals, like new dietitian win options that are under 700 calories. Go to HelloFresh.com slash hoops60 and use promo code hoops60 to get 60% off plus free shipping. HelloFresh.com slash hoops60 and use promo code H-O-O-P-S-6-0. Now, back to the show. You're listening to the Diehards here on the Sports Map Radio Network. Bobby Kravitsky alongside John Lyons. It is time for part two of our NFL offseason evaluations. We just went through some of the biggest names yet to move or find a resolution to their predicaments, namely Lamar Jackson on that front. John, Give me your thoughts on what the New England Patriots have done so far. You know, I think it's been solid so far. In coming into the offseason, there were five things I think they needed to do. They needed to get a competent offensive coordinator. Notice I didn't even say good. I said competent. They needed to really upgrade a tackle, specifically right tackle, add an outside corner with length, fix their special teams, and upgrade at wide receiver. To me, the offensive coordinator, check. Bill O'Brien, that's the biggest move they've made all offseason because we saw last year – Multiple games they lost because of special teams mistakes, but also incompetent offense. I mean, Green Bay, Baltimore, right? Uh, Buffalo, Cincinnati, all these games are there. You win two of those games, you're a 10 win team, you're in the playoffs. So, offensive coordinator Bill O'Brien, that's the biggest move they made. I think offensive tackle, they're better there than they were last year with Riley Reef and Calvin Anderson. But I don't think they're good enough for where they need to be. I still think that should be either their first-round pick or their second-round pick. Outside corner with length, I love the Jonathan Jones re-signing, but they don't have that guy yet. Fixing special teams, the reports today, Bobby, Joe Judge is going to be working with the special teams this year. That, combining with signing Chris Board, bringing back a healthy Cody Davis, I think that makes it. Slater returning. Slater returning, and I think they're going to upgrade at punter, which I didn't think would be a thing with Jake Bailey a couple years ago. But they're going to get an upgraded punter. I think the special teams will be a lot better. And wide receiver, I like the Juju Smith-Schuster signing a lot. I still think they need. It's your guy. It is my guy, as we know. I think they need another piece there, though. And I think at this point, I look at their offense as pretty good, but they still have some significant steps to take. When not playing with Patrick Mahomes, can Juju Smith-Schuster be the number two on a championship-caliber passing attack? I think he can because he really was in Pittsburgh. And I know they didn't win the Super Bowl, but that was an elite-level passing game with him and Antonio Brown, and he was the number two. So I think he can be. I think right now, like to me, Devontae Parker's not a one. He's a great piece, but because you just can't depend on being consistently healthy. Not a one. Kendrick Bourne, I still love, but he disappeared last year. Partly his own fault, partly incompetent offense. So... Tyquan Thornton, too, I think has blazing speed, but he only flashed it last year. So I still don't think they have that guy that allows Smith-Schuster to be the two. And if they get that guy, then I think it makes a big difference. Yeah, they, they need to get that guy. How much of an upgrade, and let me start here. I think what a lot of people don't remember is that two years ago, the Patriots with Josh McDaniels' as offensive coordinator were, let me count it again, I believe seventh, seventh in yep. the league in points per seventh game. Seventh in points per game, thank you. And so it just shows you what a disaster. As expected, maybe somehow worse, or maybe just when you see it play out, you get so swept up in it it was to have Patricia and Judge at the controls of the offense. But now that it's Bill O'Brien, it's really the same roster, plus Devontae Parker compared to two years ago. Yeah. 
We'll see what maybe a more resilient Mac Jones. Maybe he's smarter after another year in the league, and that's his superpower to begin with. So I'm curious to see what happens. You're right about Juju Smith-Schuster. Jacoby Myers, love you, mean it. But this is someone who can generate yards after the catch and is more versatile. So it was an upgrade. And, you know, James Robinson – if he's the James Robinson from Jacksonville, which I'm kind of betting against because that's a yeah, serious injury. Yeah, that's tough. But, but still, if he is, yeah. yeah. If he is, it's a great move. And so with this Patriots team, I my concern going into the offseason was don't try to address everything. You have so many needs. Try to just at least get a blue blood, you know, blue chip talent into this program. And the biggest name so far they have is Bill O'Brien, which does a lot. Gets them back on track, and on track was pretty good two years ago, top seven in scoring. Yeah. But I still look at it and say whether it's Jerry Judy or it's a home run, maybe a double dip in the first round in the draft, they really need to make something shake between now and training camp. Yeah, and I think Mike Kosicki is a really good signing too, sure. and I think that's another, if he's the number two option in your offense, you're really good. And, and I think the problem is they don't have that one. And you look in their division, Miami is good. Buffalo is a perennial contender, and if the Jets get Aaron Rodgers, they're better than the Patriots, at least roster-wise. So uh, I look at it as the AFCs could send three teams to the playoffs. It's not a lock the Patriots could be one of those three teams. They have three Super Bowl contenders. Yeah, I, and it's not a lock the Patriots can be a t- one of those teams that makes the playoffs from the AFC. I mean, the AFCs really could send four teams to the playoffs. They're that, But it's just so unlikely that that happens. But that's how good all four of these teams are. Like, whoever finishes last in the AFC East – is not going to suck. Like, that's a big difference between a lot of other divisions. And the other factor that I look at is the clock is ticking on not only Mac Jones' rookie deal, but Bill Belichick's tenure as head coach. And that's part of the reason I think they need to be aggressive. Now, it seems like Gerard Mayo is groomed to be the heir apparent, and I'm bullish on his future as a head coach no matter where it is. But when you have Bill Belichick, who can still coach – at a Hall of Fame caliber level, evidenced by his success, his ability to be competitive with a mediocre roster against the top teams in the league. I wouldn't take that for granted. I wouldn't be trying to be patient. Like I said, Max on his rookie deal still as well. And it's the Jalen Hurts effect that if you have a quarterback who's not elite and Hurts is really leveled up now, you got to surround that dude with a lot of talent. It's how you win in the modern NFL. And so to me... They need to take a significant swing between now and training camp. Yeah, and the thing, too, is they have 11 draft picks. So are they really going to pick 11 guys? Like, you can move around. And maybe that big swing is you trade up in the second, much like they did for Christian Barrymore and Rob Gronkowski. You trade up higher into the second round, and you get another blue-chip talent to go along with your first-round pick. Like, that's an option. Do you do it to trade for DeAndre Hopkins or Jerry Judy? I think I agree. Like, do they need to, you know, draft three wide receivers? Do they need to trade for Hopkins and Judy? No, but they need one more guy that really is a one because I don't think they have that one right now. But still, without a doubt, offensive tackle is their bigger need. I think that hurt them even more than what they had a receiver last year. So that that's why the way that I look at it, and I'm not predicting this will happen, but I would like to see the Patriots get a tackle with their first pick, which is 14th overall, and then I would see what you can get for two second-round picks this year's and next. You consistently do not do well with those picks, even though, yes, there are the Barmores and the Gronkowskis there to counter it with. But overall, 
it's been mostly Jordan Richards and Tavon yeah. Wilson's of the world. So I would see if you can double dip in the first round, like when they got Dante Hightower and Chandler Jones. Yeah, and I know those option. were in the 20s, but one at 14, one right around 20 perhaps, and see if you can get a tackle and a wide receiver or a cornerback. Yeah, and I think what what I if they walk away with after the first two days of the draft with a legit tackle and a legit corner with length, I'm ecstatic. Oh, yeah. Like that to me is especially developmentally because – they don't really have a great answer at right tackle right now, and Trent Brown's in the last year of his deal left tackle, so they need answers there. And corner, I mentioned it. Jonathan Jones did a really good job on the outside last year. When did he struggle? When they played Justin Jefferson, when they played Stephon Diggs. Those guys are great. They're going to make plays anyway, but they were just as athletic as him, and they were bigger, yep. and that made a difference. They need an out, and Jack Jones doesn't have a ton of length. Jalen Mills is probably going to play safety. Marcus Jones is going to be in the slot. They don't have that guy with length. Could you see them signing, and what would you think if they did, brought Rocky Sin in? I've been wanting them to sign Rocky (laughs) Sin for over a week now, Bobby. Like, to me, my top two choices for the Patriots at corner in free agency, number one was Jamel Dean, 26 years old, can play man, can play zone from Tampa. My number two choice, Rocky Sin. I think he's 26 as well. He played zone in Indy, but he played a Patriots-style man scheme in Vegas under Patrick Graham last year. I think it would be a no-brainer. I'm surprised nobody signed him, frankly. But if I'm the Patriots, I I think it's a no-brainer to to sign him. I'm with you. A a physical corner who plays with swagger, fills your need on the outside. I don't think they have to go crazy with that number one spot. It's already a very good defense. I agree. And so if they sign Rakusin, which I think they absolutely should, then I think you're in good shape. And I'm excited, by the way, about this safety-by-committee approach and being unpredictable on that front where you don't know from snap to snap how it's going to rotate and who's where. I think that can work, and I think the guy that's really going to thrive off that and become a bigger name, already a pro bowler, young Kyle Duggar. I think he's better as a free safety than he is in the box. I think he's already a star, and people just don't recognize him for that. But he's a star, and the fact that now you're going to put him at multiple safety spots – I think that's going to be – and I think Jabril Peppers is another guy yeah. that could really benefit from that. Miles Bryant, I wonder if they're going to put him at free safety at all. And I mentioned Jonathan Jones earlier. If they sign a guy like Rockison or if their first-round pick's Joey Porter Jr., Jonathan Jones could be a free safety. Joey Porter Jr. would be an awesome pick too. I do worry about smaller players at free safety, yeah. but Duggar in particular, his ball skills and his range are outrageous. I yeah. think he's going to be a stud and haven't even – bigger season than he's had before stick with us here on the dyers we're going to get into jalen brown's comments about boston and the celtics up next we're taking you through the brackets on the sports map radio network presented by bluechew.com guys it's all about confidence and confidence is what you get with the chewables from bluechew.com bluechew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as viagra and cialis but in chewable form at a fraction of the cost and for sports map radio listeners try bluechew free when you use our promo code madness at checkout that's bluechew.com promo code madness to receive your first month free now back to the show you're listening to the Diehards here on the Sports Map Radio Network. Bobby Kravitsky alongside John Lyons. We got Austin Rodriguez producing. Jalen Brown, John, has been in the news for interviews. One recent one, I believe at least, that it played out over months. I was listening to Logan Murdoch, who did a fantastic job with his piece for The Ringer, speaking with Jalen Brown. And he talked about it started in, I believe, November and played out over months. So 
I, I think even the most recent conversation he had with Jalen Brown, it wasn't, for example, like Sopan Deb from the New York Times, who spoke to him when the Celtics were in Houston. Yeah. So it was a little older and came out just now because it, it was such a heavy and wide-ranging piece. And again, both did a fantastic job. One of the comments that Jalen Brown made that has Celtics fans up in arm is when he was asked about his future, he said, quote, I don't know, as long as I'm needed. It's not up to me. We'll see how they feel about me over time and how I feel about them over time. Hopefully, whatever it is, it makes sense. But I will stay where I'm wanted. I will stay where I'm needed and treated correct. Your thoughts? First thought I had as a Celtics fan. Man, I hope he makes all NBA so they can just give him the Supermax. That was the first thought I had because I was like, then the money's not close. Look, i got to be honest. It was a little concerning to me because it's not like, oh, yeah, I'm going to be here, no problem. But at the same time, I kind of get where he's coming from, right? They try to trade for Anthony Davis, whose name's in the rumor, Jalen Brown. They try to trade for Kawhi Leonard, whose name's in the rumor, Jalen Brown. They try to trade... After the NBA Finals, in which Jalen Brown and outplayed like a week after. everyone whose name's in the rumors, Jalen Brown. And let's not forget, of Tatum and Brown, Brown was better in the Finals. I'm not absolving him. Score. I'm not absolving him of some of those really frustrating turnovers, but he was the Celtics' best player in the NBA Finals. I mean, I understand where he's coming from, and I get it. And he's seen guys traded. He's seen guys that organizations have said, we're not going to trade you, get traded. He's seen... He talked in that piece about Ben Simmons and about Brandon Ingram in his draft class. Both of those guys have been traded for stars. Oh, by the way, another one, James Harden, who also in that package, who brought up Jalen Brown. So, look, I understand they're never going to trade Tatum, and they shouldn't. They shouldn't trade Jalen Brown either. I mean, really, who is better? If you trade Jalen Brown, who are you going to bring in that's an upgrade? Giannis? LeBron? Uh, okay, even Durant. And, and I don't know how you felt this way in the summer, like, the thought of Kevin Durant is exciting. And would he be an upgrade this year over Jalen Brown? Yeah. But a guy who's, what, 34? Would he be this year? He's barely played. But So, all right. So I'm going back but to I, my I, thought I, process I in the summer. But you're, you know, but you're right. And would he have been maybe an upgrade this year if he stayed healthy? Uh, okay. But what about four years from now when he's making $45 million in the last year of that contract? Are the Celtics really better off then? Because I don't think so. And, again, they just went to the NBA Finals with him as the key piece. Like, I understand where he's coming from. And if I'm the Celtics, this should be an immediate red flag, not in that he's out of here, but a red flag in that we got some work to do to make sure he knows we're on board with him. One of the, the many layers to why trading Brown for Durant, and I don't really think the Celtics had interest in it, and that's another part that I'm going to circle back to, but one of the reasons why it would have been a mistake if you can – call it that because Durant you get him you might win a championship but a gamble better off not making is that Jalen Brown is 26 yeah Kevin Durant is 34 what happens even if it works out well with Durant when he leaves and you have to find another star to pay with to pair with Tatum to stay in title contention because if that doesn't happen it might reach a point where Tatum asks out yeah why why mortgage everything and with a lot of these names, you're still taking a huge risk on that front. You have the best tandem in the NBA. Yep. And so to sacrifice that, they're young. They like playing with each other. Jalen Brown buys in and likes his role. The only thing he needs from the organization, and they didn't give it to him sufficiently enough with the Durant rumors over the summer, is to make it clear 
that our plans include Jalen Brown. Yeah. And I think, too, just a quick aside on the Durant trade, the rumored offer slash asking price of the Nets was not just Jalen Brown. It was Derek White and a first-round pick. Derek White's been their third-best player this year behind yep. Tatum and Brown. So that would have made you not just the Jalen Brown worst piece, but now no Derek White. So would Durant make up for both of that? I don't know if he would, especially, obviously, as we've seen play out with his injuries. And the Celtics just saw this happen with Kyrie. Kyrie said on a season ticket holder event in October, I'm going to resign here, and seven months later he was gone. Like, they've just been through this. If anything, they need to get on board with, we need to make sure Jalen knows not just that we want him here now, we want him here eight years from now. Because if not, then they run the risk of having to trade him in a year. I'm going to give you some positive developments, and then I'm going to give you the concern afterwards as the chaser. The first is that Jalen Brown is playing at an all-NBA caliber level. He's If he's not listed as a forward, I'm not sure. And he should be listed as a forward. He played 60% of the time there. But if he's not, I'm not sure he makes it if he's a guard. Yeah. I also think that there is a, a recognition around the NBA that they've kind of penalized themselves where they've incentivized players to play out their contracts. Yeah. And so there, there's – I would not be surprised, put it this way, if over the summer there's a change in league rules to further incentivize players to sign a year in advance where teams can offer more than they're currently able to. In Jalen Brown's case – we're looking at a 30% maximum increase from his current contract. Pretty good money. You can attach his current yeah. incentives to make it even higher. In other words, a deal worth re-signing, even if he doesn't make All-NBA. That's the good news for the Celtics. They might not have to play out his contract. The concern, even if he re-signs, there's nothing stopping him from doing what Kevin Durant did, and that's you ask out whenever you feel like it. So they need more than anything to tend to that relationship. And I think, and I don't want to say they need to win a championship because those guys are so young, but I think, and, and Brown's other concerns about being an advocate, having causes he's passionate for, I think the thing about the city of Boston, it's not that they're not open to him doing that, it's that they want to see the championship first. And I think a, a lot of things will fall into place more. Him wanting to stay more, the team being totally okay, and I think the team is okay with the direction they're in, obviously, like they're best team in the nba but as in yeah these are the two guys next 10 years we're invested but i also think like you look at famous athletes in boston that have spoken out recently guys like devin mccordy who just retired for the patriots well he had won multiple championships right so that it's something that i think and i'm not saying this is right or wrong i just think it's the reality i think if they win a championship it makes all these other pieces a lot easier so it certainly does my thought is in Jalen brown to paraphrase, he talked about how you know, he started up his business and being an entrepreneur, a black entrepreneur in Boston, the process didn't move as fluidly as he would have expected, yeah. especially for someone with his clout and his platform. And he ran into similar problems trying to buy a house. So if it's like that for Jalen Brown, what is it like that for an average citizen who doesn't have Jalen Brown's yeah. clout and his platform? You shudder to think you can only imagine, but also you can kind of figure it out even without hearing yeah. about what Brown went through. And the way that I look at it is there are people who could hear this from, you know, within Massachusetts. There are people that could hear what Brown was saying from the moment he got drafted and have been both, you know, not maybe heartbroken is the wrong word because they're not new to it or naive about it. But basically 
that they could get behind Jalen Brown saying that at any point because their heart's in the right place. And there are people who, frankly, that doesn't apply to who will never want to hear that from Jalen Brown. Yeah. Even for some of them, it might be easier with championships. It's never the direction they want to move in. Yeah, and there's some people that no matter who says it, if they're an athlete, they don't want to hear it no matter what. And I think another piece, one other thing, too, in this article I found really interesting is him and Kyrie both basically admitted that they did not like each other in Boston. Yeah, and it's well, something it, that it was obvious. Right, and it's something that we kind of knew. Like, I remember Jalen, after one game, was saying, like, you can't always blame the young guys. Yes. And I, I was like, okay. But for, them, right. <laughs> for them to both say it, I think, made a big difference because I was like, okay, well, we knew it was true, but now to hear. But I also think that's a clue into why they're still close because they went through a tough time and they made up. And now it's harder to, even with some of the weird stuff Kyrie has done, to separate again. And I think another interesting piece was the Kanye stuff. Because I think the problem is, if you associate with Kanye, it undermines a lot of the other stuff you do. Because of all the things Kanye has said, things Kanye has and done. And by, like, Kyrie. And Kyrie. And we've, we've talked about this on the show before. And I think the problem is... And it said in the article, people close to Brown said, hey, man, don't align with Kanye. This is a bad idea. And Brown was almost starstruck and like, I like his music. And he has the school, and it's really cool. And Brown did the right thing and broke off from him. But I think, unfortunately, the people that don't want to hear his message are still going to point to that they associated with each other, no matter what, even though he broke it off. Yeah, Brown hasn't moved well in every situation, and no one does, and he'd acknowledge that. But also... Boston needs an advocate and someone like him who wants to get involved in these issues. He does it the right way. He wants stuck up for them against Kyrie. So I I think he needs to be embraced. Stick with us here on the diehards. More NBA matters pertaining to on the court up next. You're listening to the diehards on the sports map radio network. Here's Anthony Pepe and basketball insiders Bobby Kravitzky. You're listening to the Diehards here on the Sports Map Radio Network. Bobby Kravitzky alongside John Lyons. John, we're in the final stretch of the NBA season, less yep. than 10 games left for most. Let's start with the race for the two seed in the Eastern Conference. Who do you think wins it between the Celtics and Sixers, who, before you give your answer, play again in early April in Philly? Yeah, and what a huge game that's going to be. I, I still lean the Celtics here. They have a softer part of their schedule coming up. They're going to play Atlanta, excuse me, Indiana this Friday night. You mentioned the game against Philly later on. And, and look, this is not an anti-Philly take. I just trust the Celtics a lot more than I trust Philadelphia. And I mentioned the softer part of their schedule coming up, Indiana, San Antonio, teams that are not in it anymore. They have a couple games against Toronto and, Atlanta, and then Atlanta to end the season like all winnable games for me. So if they win that head-to-head matchup, to me there's no reason that they shouldn't end up at least getting the two seed. And I don't want to say one seed yet, but they still have that Thursday night game against Milwaukee coming up. Milwaukee's only two and a half up on Like the one seed is in range for the Celtics, but I think they get the two seed either way. Bucks will also be on the second night of a back-to-back going into that game. Could help the cause. And the Sixers, you talked about, who has the harder schedule coming up for Philadelphia starting Friday night at Golden State, at Phoenix, at Denver. That is a gauntlet. Then they come home two nights later and play Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving. Then they play the Raptors. Then they go to Milwaukee. Then they play the Celtics. Then it's Miami. Then it's 
the Hawks in Atlanta, and they wrap it in Brooklyn against the Nets, who are a handful to deal with because they've got excellent perimeter defenders and shoot the lights out from three. That is a really tough stretch to already be the team that lost the season series to Boston and currently trails them by half a game. And the two seed, to me, just projecting ahead because Brooklyn and Miami are tied with six and seven. Brooklyn's right now in six, but they're tied. But the, I don't want to face either of those teams about the two seed. It's tough. Like the one seed, you're going to get There's one. There's a lot of, the of feistiness in the right. East. So I think the two seed, it's good. But the, whoever is the two three seed, I'd rather probably play Brooklyn than Miami. But somebody's both teams are getting a tough matchup out of that either way. I would rather play Miami, and the Heat are hot right now, seven and three in their last ten. Jimmy Butler's cooking. And they're, Eric Spolster, for my money, is the best coach in the NBA today. So there's that. There's just that. There's always going to be that panic of Celtics fans against the Heat because they make you sweat. Yeah. Even when they're less talented, they take you down to a Jimmy Butler pull-up three with yeah. the conference finals on the line. So there's always going to be that layer to the, if you want to call it, quote-unquote, rivalry. But the Celtics are the better team and the Heat look worse this year than a season ago. And so you should beat them. They do have a losing record on the road, too. This is also true. When it comes to Brooklyn, who, of course, if that's who the Celtics draw or the Sixers, you should win. But it is going to be exhausting because they have so many good perimeter defenders, and everyone on that team just about can shoot the three well. Yeah, and that's a fair point. I, I just, for me... I think Jimmy Butler, of those two teams, he's the best player. No doubt. And, and so that's where, it, and I think you mentioned Spolster is such a good coach. They were just in the Eastern Conference Finals last year. They were in the NBA Finals a couple of years ago. So the mental toughness piece, the championship DNA piece is there. So that's why, to me, I, I'd rather play Brooklyn than Miami. But you make a good point about all the perimeter defenders, especially for a team like the Celtics that shoot so many threes. Yeah, and and so we'll see how it ultimately finishes out. I do think Boston gets the two seed. I know they play Milwaukee again. I not only think the Bucks hold on to the top spot, I think they're the best bet to win the NBA Finals. I think they – I have the most confidence in them, and Middleton is starting to look more like his old self. They've gotten deeper since a year ago. So I, I like this team. What Holiday is doing has been spectacular. Giannis, I really think he's in the MVP conversation while saving himself for the playoffs. That's when you're going to get him to come hard. And so, to me, I have a lot of confidence in the Milwaukee Bucks to finish this year clutching the Larry O'Brien Trophy. 30-7 and seven home record, too, which is the best in the East. I mean, that's a really tough place to win. And, look, we can talk because it kind of goes a little bit both ways here because you and I can say that if the Celtics had Malcolm Brogdon last year, they probably beat Milwaukee in five or six games. But if Milwaukee has Chris Middleton, they very well could beat the Celtics in six or seven games. So now that both of those pieces are there – I think it comes down to the health of Robert Williams because I think if you don't have a healthy Robert Williams inside with Giannis and with Brooke Lopez, I think Milwaukee wins that series. I still think with a healthy Robert Williams, the Celtics win that series, and I think Malcolm Brockton, Brogdon excuse me, is a huge difference maker in that. But like, I think those are by far the two team, best two teams in the East, but I think one of those teams wins the NBA Finals. I don't think it's a team from the West. I agree with that. Excuse me. What I what I think with the Celtics, I would say my biggest concern. Well, I have two now, based on how the season's unfolded. One is consistency. Whether that's you're up by 14 and continue to play the right way and don't take your foot off the gas and lose focus, 
Because you lose games like that in the playoffs, at a minimum, you're putting more mileage on the tires. The second yeah. is maybe this changes in the playoffs and there's some possum playing, but I don't think that's the case. I just think they rely too much on the three, that you should not live and die with it, that you can refine that approach, and they really haven't. So some, sometimes it's the process was good and they just weren't making them, and that's more acceptable. It happened in the middle loss in Denver, among others, but sometimes it's you know, it, it's not good. The pace is slower, and that's a big barometer for this team's success, and it's a lot of one swing pass shot, and it's out of rhythm. But to me, Jalen Brown has talked about – hey, we should have gone more to the mid-range tonight, like against that loss to the Knicks at Madison Square Garden. And Tatum has talked about, yeah, should have gone to the basket more. So to me, I, I think they need to diversify their approach, especially just there's a timeliness and a value to a mid-range bucket when you're not shooting well from three because the game's not played on a spreadsheet. Is that a Joel Missoula problem? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. also, it's a team problem. I think if the team bucked that approach – Missoula would have to respond to that. Yeah. And I wonder if that's where, like, Missoula being a first-year head coach, the leading the guys and, you know, being in the moment, that doesn't concern me as much with him. What concerns me is, are they, is he going to say, just keep shooting? Just keep, Like, there's really only one team in the NBA that can truly live and die by the three, and that's Golden State. And I think everybody else, and look, the Celtics, remember earlier in the year they were on pace to be the best three-point shooting team ever? Now... Look, Jalen Brown, by the way, is a really good mid-range shooter. They need to be able to have other parts of their offensive game because they are not as good defensively as they were a year ago. They're good defensively, but last year they were the best defensive team in the NBA. If you're not going to be that, you can't be one-dimensional on offense. If you're going to beat teams 125 to 110, you're not going to be able to do that four times out of seven just shooting threes, I don't think. And even Golden State, James Wiseman, it didn't work out there because – you know, he just has such little playing experience since getting to college that he couldn't keep up with the most sophisticated offense yeah. in the league where it's constant activity, it's split cuts, it's elements of Lou Olson and Greg Popovich and Phil Jackson sprinkled into one system, and it just it was a handful and a lot to grasp at a very young age, being relied on as much as he was and having such a short leash plus injuries. And so with the Celtics, it can't just be – Come down, let the players figure it out. But by the way, we want you to shoot a three yeah. almost every time. Right, and and I think with this, they have so many options too because obviously they have a lot of great three point shooters. Robert Williams and Al Horford and Grant Williams inside are really good options. Jalen Brown and Tatum in the mid range, Malcolm Brogdon in the mid range, those are great options. And you mentioned pace. I think the Celtics are much better off the faster they play. That sounds like an obvious statement, but a lot of teams are like that, but I think the Celtics even more so because they're a team, to me, that feeds off energy. And the faster they play, the more energy they have, the better off they are. I totally agree with that. Let's switch gears to the West, where my first question, does Kevin Durant not playing with Phoenix in the regular season change your expectation for them? Yeah, and look, you and I, before the season, picked Denver to go to the NBA Finals, and when the Phoenix Suns got Durant, I wavered on that. I was like, ooh, you know, I think I'm starting to lean Phoenix, and I finally got to the point where I was ready to pick Phoenix, and I was starting to pick them to be the NBA Finals favorite from the West, and of course he got hurt. Look, as great as he is, and as good as the Suns are, and as well-coached as they are, to just start playing with a team in the playoffs or the last week of the regular season, whenever it is, I don't think that's enough time. And especially you look at the West, I don't think the West is loaded by any means, but it is tougher than the East. And if you look at a first-round series, well, they, 
they play Kawhi and the Clippers, like that's tough for Durant just coming back. And even if they advance beyond that, they play the one-seeded Nuggets potentially, like that's tough. Or the two-seed Grizzlies, like that's tough. Like, I'm with you on that. And you brought up the Clippers, who Paul George, George is yep. out for the regular season. That's the expectation at least. Sprained right knee, suffered the other night. They right now have a half-a-game lead over the six-seeded Warriors, and they are one-and-a-half games ahead of 10th-place Los Angeles Lakers. Could they find themselves out of the tournament? Uh, I think it's a real possibility, especially if they stumble. For John Lyons and Austin Rodriguez, I'm Bobby Kravitsky. Diehards back on Sports Map Radio Network tomorrow night at 8 p.m. Eastern. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your night.